Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a message from our current study of the book of Hebrews. When you read through the book of Hebrews, you will see time and time again that Jesus is greater than everyone and everything that ever was, is, or will be. To watch any of our previous messages or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Enjoy. Good morning, everybody. We're glad you're here in the house. We're also glad that you're joining us online. And as we are here today, we're beginning a new series, as you just heard, on the book of Hebrews. I would encourage you in your own personal devotional time that during these eight weeks to begin to to read and meditate and take notes on the book of Hebrews. If you haven't joined a life group, many of our life groups are studying the book of Hebrews, and we would encourage you to join one. Uh, If you find that there's not one uh, that meets at a time that you would like to meet, if you're interested in, in starting a life group, please send us an email, and we would love to talk with you about that. So before we jump in, let me just pray. Uh, Father, as we come here to open up what you have inspired in the book of Hebrews, we pray that you would speak to us, that you would guide us, that you would speak into our lives as people who believe in your son and desire to follow him all of our lives. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, later this month, we're going to celebrate President's Day. And if you know anything about President's Day, it was originally started to celebrate the birth of George Washington. And historians have said this about Washington. Uh, Even though today we call him the father of our country, some of his contemporaries did not think very highly of George Washington. His father died when he was 11. He had almost no formal education because his family at that time couldn't afford education and there was no public education at that point in our country. He was not a world traveler. He never left the United States. He never went to Europe. Uh, John Adams tersely remarked about Washington saying that he was too illiterate, too unlearned, and too unread for his station in life and his reputation. Washington, though, developed his mind through his own program of reading. This unlearned aristocrat surprised the country. He burst into the spotlight of leadership by commanding a frontier militia at the age of 21. He delivered an ultimatum to the French who were pushing into the United States in the Ohio Valley area. But he was also a peacemaker. The followers of the brilliant politicians, Alexander Hamilton and Thomas Jefferson, often hotly debated their contrasting political views. But with great skill and patience, Washington brought unity and moderation to those unmanageable followers. Washington also had moral convictions. He provided freedom for his slaves after his wife's death and guaranteed their support in his will. In the 1830s, those freed people were still receiving payments from his estate. Washington also was unselfish. When Congress offered him the command of the Continental Armies, he refused a salary. He only accepted reimbursement for his expenses. He made the same suggestion when he became president, but Congress refused that suggestion and set his salary at $25,000 a year, which was a lot of money then. Washington showed wisdom in what he expected for the country. He did not aim at power and expansion, but at 
independence. In his farewell address, he expressed the hope that the country would have the time to settle and mature its yet recent institutions and to progress without interruption to the degree of strength and consistency which is necessary to give it the command of its own fortunes. Now, many Americans did not expect greatness from President George Washington, but he surprised them and he impressed his critics. So uh, why am I bringing up Washington? Well, because in a similar fashion, the author of the book of Hebrews wrote to a group of Christians who were actually having their doubts about following Jesus. You see, they were converts from Judaism to becoming followers of Jesus, and, and their Jewish background was something that was beginning to tug at them because they just weren't sure about following Jesus. In fact, they were considering going back to Judaism. Now, while we don't know who the author is, it's clear that this person understood completely the practices and teachings of Judaism, that this person was a scholar and, and was very learned. Uh, the author believed that Jesus, though, was the fulfillment of the Jewish scriptures. And he wanted to help his fellow Christ followers who were considering returning to Judaism to understand that that Jesus was the Messiah. And to make that point, uh, the writer used two Greek words over and over in his writing. Those words he used to refer to Jesus, and, and they were this. He referred to Jesus being better or Jesus being superior. So as you read the book of Hebrews, and you will catch those words. And you'll see that the author of Hebrews understood that Jesus is greater than the people and the things that Judaism held in highest regard. Now, the book of Hebrews starts out really on that note that Jesus is greater. So let me read the first two verses. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. What's the message? That Jesus is greater than all of the prophets of the Old Testament. And and throughout the book, you'll see that that Jesus is mentioned as being greater than other leaders of Judaism, other people, and other things also. But here's the question I think we all have to wrestle with. Why is Jesus greater than all others, other people, other things? Well, the author of the book of Hebrews makes it pretty clear. So we're going to look at three things that he tells us in the first chapter. First, he tells us that Jesus is the Son of God. So let me read a few portions again of the first two verses and part of verse three. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. The son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very nature of the character of God. So what the author of Hebrews is doing is he's taking all of the attributes of God that people would know from the book of the law, the books of the law, and the books of the prophets in the Jewish Bible, which we call our Old Testament, and now he's saying these attributes apply to Jesus. 
We read that Jesus radiates God's glory and that Jesus has the very same character of God. Now, think about that. Think about all of the traits of God. Think about all of the, the character traits that we give to God. And he's really saying yes, but they apply also to the Son of God. Let me just remind you of a few. God is immutable. It means he, he's never changing. God embraces all of what I call the omnis. He's omnipresent. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's, he's all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present. God is righteous and perfect and holy. God is gracious and loving and faithful. God is personal yet infinite. God the Father is all of these things. But the author of Hebrews is reminding us that, that God the Son, that Jesus is all of these things because he is also God. And when you read through the first chapter of Hebrew, after the first verses, the author speaks specifically about how Jesus, the Son of God, is greater than the angels. Now, I appreciate how Dr. Michael Kruger, he's a professor of New Testament, how he puts what may feel like a tangent to us about angels into context. So let me quote him here. In the context in which the letter was originally written, its Jewish audiences were also chasing around other things, being more impressed by them than by Jesus. The thing that they were impressed by, however, was not job security or money or relationships, he writes. It was angels. Now, this may seem irrelevant to us at first, but in fact, it doesn't matter what the particular distraction is. The point is the same. Don't be so easily impressed with the things of the world. Because once you see Jesus in all of his glory, all of those things will pale in comparison because he is superior to all things. So what the author of Hebrews does in the rest of the chapter is, is of chapter one, he uses Old Testament scriptures to demonstrate how Jesus fulfills those scriptures as the Son of God. For instance, quoting old, the Old Testament passages in verse five, this is what the writer says about Jesus. For God never said to any angel what he said to Jesus, you are my son. Today I have become your father. And God also said, I will be his father and he will be my son. You know, in 2022, when we think about angels, we probably have a picture of angels as those cute, chubby little cherubs that we see at Valentine's Day, on Valentine's Day cards. But that's not how first century people pictured angels. And, and honestly, uh, neither should we. In fact, in the Bible, uh, angels are attendants and messengers of God. And in the prophet Isaiah's writing, we actually see that, honestly, angels are, are frightening. Um, and, and rightly so, because we see also throughout the scriptures that whenever someone encounters an angel, what's the first thing the angel says to them? Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. So the Bible tells us that angels were real beings. And, and yes, angels were not cute little cherubs. They were scary spiritual beings. But what the author of Hebrews is saying is 
they can't compare to the awesome nature and the reality of the Son of God because the Son of God is greater than all other things, even angels and people and whatever. So the, the first verses of Hebrews point out that, that Jesus is the Son of God, but, but they also point out that Jesus is our creator. Now, being the creator is only something that God can do. Now, we've already established that Jesus is God. So in verses 2 and 3, we read about Jesus, the Son of God, these words, through, though the son, through the Son, he created the universe. There we go. The Son radiates God's glory and expresses the very character of God, and he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. So the, the fact that Jesus was present and active in creation reminds us that he is divine, that he is all-powerful, that, that he is the creative force behind the universe. Now, this is not something that we read only in the New Testament book of Hebrews. Uh, the apostle John wrote about it in, in his gospel. He said, God created everything through him, meaning Jesus, and nothing was created except through him, through Jesus. So Jesus also gets credibility there for being the creator. The Apostle Paul wrote this. Just, just listen to it. It's not going to be on the screen. This is speaking about Jesus. For through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things that we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all of creation together. Now, let me go back to the book of Hebrews. The author quotes from Psalm 102, to show that Jesus is the creator of all things, even angels. And this is what we read. Speaking of Jesus, he also says to the Son, In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundation of the earth and made the heavens with your hands. There's the creator. And then speaking of the angels, he goes on. They will perish, but you remain forever. They will wear out like old clothing. You will fold them up like a cloak and discard them like old clothing, but you are always the same. You will live forever. See, angels are created beings, created by God the Father and God the Son. So that's what this verse drives home, is that Jesus is the creator of the universe and while the angels are heavenly creatures that serve God, they are in no way at all like Jesus. He is the creator. He created them. So Jesus is greater than all other things because he is the son of God and because he is the creator. And also because he is our savior. Jesus is the savior of the world that offers salvation to the entire world. The author of Hebrews reminds us in the first two chapters what Jesus did for all of humanity. In chapter 1, we read this. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. Now, that just creates a, a word picture. 
that he cleansed us from our sins. It's a picture of Jesus washing away the, the stain and the filth of our sinfulness, cleansing us from every sin by his death and resurrection. And then after the resurrection, we know that Jesus ascended into heaven and he sat at the rightful place at the right hand of God. Now, this shows us that our Savior holds a high and lofty place in the heavenly realm, but, but scholars will point this out, and, and this again refers back to Jesus being God. Scholars point out that to, to have God place Jesus at the right hand of God, that means that God has given Jesus equal honor, equal dignity, and equal authority. And so we understand what that means, again, that Jesus is God, the Son of God. So that reinforces this. Now, if we go on into the second chapter of the book of Hebrews, we see more clearly how Jesus saved us from our sin. And not only from our sin, but from the devil and also from death. And this is what we read. By God's grace, Jesus tasted death for everyone. God, for whom and through whom everything was made, chose to bring many children into glory. And it was only right that he should make Jesus, through his suffering, a perfect leader, fit to bring them into their salvation. Because God's children are human beings, made of flesh and blood. The Son also became flesh and blood, but only as a human being could he die? And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who would live their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. You know, there's so much in this passage, but think about this. Unlike any other, Jesus, the Son of God, the creator of the universe, became human. Became flesh and blood like you and I are flesh and blood. And he lived on this earth like we do. And he willingly sacrificed his life. He willingly was nailed to a cross, cru crucified, executed to pay the price once and for all for your sin, for my sin, for the sins of the world. He defeated the devil through his death and resurrection, through conquering the power that sin held on all of us to damn us to eternity separated from God. He did that for us. Jesus is greater than all the others. When I say others, I think of all the other folks that are said to be God or religious leaders. He's greater than all of them because he is the savior of the world. So because Jesus is the son of God and the creator of all things and our savior, he is greater than all the others. Greater than the people that we will see later on in the book of Hebrews. Greater than all things that we find in the Old Testament. Greater than all religious leaders. So with all of that information, though, we have to ask ourselves, all right, Jesus is greater than all others. So what does that mean today for me as I live my life in the 21st century? Well, in chapter 3, the writer of Hebrews makes a statement, and I believe it's a challenge. And this is what 
the writer says. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. As followers of Jesus, the author is pointing out something about us, that that we're holy. Now, what does that mean? To be holy literally means to be set apart. So, set apart from what? Well, because we have believed in Jesus, we've received forgiveness from our sins, we've been set apart from following the ways of the world because we're supposed to follow the way of Jesus. Now, it doesn't mean we won't make a mistake and slip back, but we can receive forgiveness for that. So as, as followers of Jesus, then you and I, the scripture tells us, have a heavenly calling. And that calling, that heavenly calling, is for everyone who believes in Jesus. And to fulfill our heavenly calling, he tells us what we have to do. Fix our thoughts on Jesus. Fix our thoughts on Jesus. Because we know who Jesus is, and that Jesus is unlike anyone else, and because we believe in him and follow him, we need to fix our thoughts on him. Now, think about that. I think to fix our thoughts on him can also mean to fix our eyes on him. So what would happen if every day we fixed our thoughts on Jesus? I mean, instead of, turning on the morning news or scrolling through Facebook or your favorite news outlet, what would happen if we started our days by fixing our thoughts and our minds and our eyes on Jesus and said, Lord, I'm your daughter. I'm your son. What would you have me to do today? What would happen if Followers of Jesus in this room and watching on the internet and and really around the world, if we started our days with that thought and then acted on it each and every day, what would happen if we fixed our thoughts and our eyes on Jesus, the Son of God who was all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-present? Think about that. He's ever-present with each and every one of us. He knows our thoughts before we think them. He knows our words before we speak them. He knows what we think we've done in secret and obviously what we know we've done in, in, in public. What would happen if we fixed our thoughts and our eyes on Jesus who is the creator of the world along with God the Father and the Holy Spirit? What would happen if we thought that every day? What would happen if we fixed our thoughts and our eyes on Jesus, who is our Savior, who defeated the power of the devil and the power that sin has on us and even the power that death has on us? You know, calling oneself a Christian is a lot more than distinguishing ourselves with a descriptor from some other religious or philosophical point of view. Calling ourselves a Christian means that we are following Jesus and what he taught and living according 
to God's word. It's believing in him as the son of God who created us and saved us so that we can be a part of his kingdom plan in our lifetime. It's not just about going to heaven. It's not just about being saved for eternity. It's about following him now and being part of his team. So I wonder how our lives would look if we thought about Jesus, not as our savior only, but as our Lord who has a call on our lives to faithfully follow him. If we did that, we would turn to him more for guidance. We would pray more. We would trust him more. We would be less anxious. We would be more faithful in following him. We would take seriously the words of our mouths and the actions of our bodies each and every day. That's what it means to fix our thoughts on Jesus. To take seriously the fact that we call ourselves by his name and to live our lives for him. And that's a conscious choice we have to make each and every day. And so, if you call yourself a Christian, a Christ follower, I encourage you, I challenge you to fix your thoughts on Jesus every day, just one day at a time. And take one step further. At the end of your day, consider how your day has gone. If there's something you need to praise him for, praise him. If there's something you need to confess to him because you failed, confess it. Whatever it is, take some time to review your following. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.